kind of go back to a Saka quote that I read once, and I thought it really was was Steve Saka. Steve Saka. Um, he said, "He goes, if you try to make a cigar that everybody likes, you'll never make a cigar that somebody loves." That's so, a good quote. That's a great quote. Yeah, that's right? a really good and quote. And I think that that's that's true. If you're if you're if you're trying to create something for the masses, you're really never going to make something that really is just going to strike somebody's core. You're listening to Box Press, where we are passionate about cigars and how to care for them. Welcome to IPCPR 2018. I'm sitting here with Pete Johnson and John Huber. Can you guys introduce yourselves real quick to everyone out there? I think you just did. <laughs> I'm Pete Johnson. I'm John Huber. How are you? <laughs> Hi, my name is Pete Johnson. I'm with Tatawai Cigars. Uh, we've been making cigars with the Garcia family since 2003. John Huber, Crown Heads. Uh, we started in 2011. We work with Ernesto Perez Carrillo and the Garcia family and my father's cigars. How long have you guys known each other? 1996, Cincinnati. Uh, it was called the RTDA. Back RTDA. Then, right? RTDA. RTDA. And I remember the uh, yeah. the hotel, the host hotel. I, I didn't. I was actually staying at the Westin down the street, but the host hotel was the Regal. And everybody's sure. calling it the Regal Beagle because people would go in their room, and they wouldn't even have uh, they wouldn't even have towels or toilet paper. It was yeah, it was a mess. That was my first my first uh, trade show. That was actually my second. That was your second trade show. So yeah, my first trade show. We had to rent a U-Haul and drive. We we packed up all the gear for CAO, and we drove it up in two U-Haul trucks. And I was driving one of the U-Haul. I think trucks. I remember that. So yeah, but you don't like to fly anyways, do you? No, I, I don't like to leave home, basically. No. So So how many years have you been coming to the show? This is my 24th year. 24th? 23rd, probably. Uh, 96 was my first, so do the math. I mean, I, I missed... 23rd. Yeah, well, I missed uh, 2001. No, I missed 2000 in San Antonio because Liam was being born. Yes. So I missed that one, and then we took a year off at Crown Head, so I missed two in the last 20-some-odd years. So, 21 is yeah. a good number. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's a lot of shows. You see how much gray we have in our hair? But they, but they all, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Each one stands out. Like, I can remember, like, uh, 97, Tampa, Burns Steakhouse. Yeah. Where we went, yeah, right? Was... So, like, each each year kind of has a certain memory. Oh, no. Or... Tampa, no. It was. We no, went, Tampa, 2001. Was it 2001? 2001. It was 97. 97 would have been back to Orlando was Orlando. 2001 was Burns Steakhouse because I went to Cuba right after that trip. But you and I had dinner at Burns. Yeah, we we, we yeah. did. Yeah. It we was funny we were because like going big too, man. We, we were, were like, sitting in the restaurant, Burns Steakhouse, and uh, we found out that Marvin Schenken, James Suckling, and Gordon Mott were in the back room drinking 1953 Burgundies. I remember this. Ooh. like, And Marvin walks by our table, and I said, hey, Marvin, can you recommend a wine? Uh, and he, he's like, sure. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, because I knew it was going to be super expensive. Yeah. So the guy actually turned us on to a great bottle of uh, Napa Cab called Oakville Ranch. Okay. And we, we had, a, I think it was like $85, which was reasonable. That was huge for us. And uh, remember, I stole the menu, the, the, the wine yes. menu. The, yes. wine, the wine menu is a book. Ooh. And I actually stole a copy. There was one copy in the back of the restaurant that, that was, like, fucked up. And I <laughs> I took it out of there. I put it under my shirt and left. Had it rebound. <laughs> and I start looking at the prices today, and I'm like, wow. Really? I wish I could go back in time and buy some of that stuff. <laughs> but they used to let us go upstairs to the uh, the the dessert room. They, they had these, what, these little little pods that almost looked yeah. like mini cigars, right? Yeah. A perfecto. Yeah. 
and um, we could smoke up there. Oh, it was yeah, glorious. It was, it was an awesome night. It was. Nice. And then, like, 2003 was Nashville, I think, Wild Horse. So you didn't miss 2001. Saloon. No. It no. would have been 2002. It was 2000. It was 2000. 2000. 2000 was San Antonio. I missed 2000. But, yeah. So every every show has its own little particular, like, I could flash back and kind of go, okay, yeah, we did that, or we were there, or we were this, that, and the other. So it's fun. There was a lot, of, a lot of trade shows where we would end up in, like, a room with a group of – there was a lot of, like – we had a, a kind click. of like a little it was like click. a little click, yeah, for sure. A lot of the a lot of the cigar aficionado people, yeah, uh, John and I and a few other people from CAO, and we would end up just hanging out in this in this hotel room suite that we would be smoking and drinking, right, and having a good time. You talked about a click, and that's kind of why I brought the two of you onto this show is because I kind of look at you guys as somewhat in the disruptor class of the whole cigar industry. You're not coming from a family of lineage. You don't have, you know, your dad wasn't a tobacco farmer. What is it like coming into this business? What might be seen as a disadvantage, but you can kind of clarify that. What is that like? You know, I, I got into it just because of, of I was drawn to the romance of being involved with something that was, was literally like all made by hand. I know it sounds very cliche, but, um, you know, and, and I got involved with CAO and, and CAO skyrocketed, did that, this, that, and the other. But... I got to say that I think Pete, honestly, and I've said this before, he changed the game to when you when you say disruptors, like when I got into it, it was like, you know, the the usual suspects of, of, you know, general Altidus brands, Macanudo, this, that and the other. When you say disruptor, I like to me and I'm not just saying that because he's sitting next to me, but I think this guy like literally changed the game back in 2003. Was it 2003? Again, going back, we were in Nashville and. You know, it, it, we had this little tradition. Like we would, I would walk up to like Pete or George Brightman from Cigar Fish, and I'm like, "What's good out there? What, what, what should I smoke? Whatever." And I remember Pete walking up to me with this little cabinet of unmarked cigars and said, "Check this out. This is my cigar." So what is this? He's like, "This is Tatuaje," and I'm like, "Okay." And honest to God, I'm not just saying this, but I, I lit it, I smoked it. I was like, "This is a game changer." And then you know, you you look at the tra- the trajectory of. You know, he goes from like this cigar that has a very hard name to pronounce, very minimal. You know, at the time, you know, it was like everybody had this very ornate packaging and you had to be over the top. And it was like this plain little brown, you know, band on it. No embossing, no nothing. High price point. Sorry, but it was right. And it's actually relatively cheap now. <laughs> that that release, that cigar, that that company paved the way for the illusionists, for the crowned heads for you know all of the what you would say disruptors and, and quote unquote boutique brands today if there was no tattoo there would be no crown heads so i would i would say though that like honestly one of the first guys that disrupted a lot was tony Berhani with bahia yeah. cigars bahia bahia, bahia. Is there, are they John still actually almost took a job with Bahia, and I convinced him not to take <laughs> yeah, it. That's true. That's another true story. We're, they're not still around, are they? No. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Um, so how I long think were maybe they through CI it? only or something like that. Back in the day, so it was out of a, a, a factory called Tabacalera Tambor in Costa Rica, um, and there was a guy named Don Douglas Perringer that was he was actually a, a cheese guy. He, like his family was in the cheese business or whatever, but. Tony Barani, like if you lived in L.A., you knew Bahia Cigars. They were like this very boutique, micro-brand kind of thing. But I remember in 1998, like one of the best cigars I smoked was a Bahia Gold Robusto. So in 98, 
the trade show was uh, was in Nashville, I think. It was Nashville. It was in Nashville. We were again. This click was in a suite, smoking cigars, and I was sitting next to Tony Borani, and he has uh, uh, he gives me a cigar, and I'm smoking it. Wait, wasn't '98 though when you guys came out with the yes. the CAO Maduro later that, that year? That, later remember that year. the guy who who I gave. I gave a cigar to him, and I thought it was a part of a Series D, but it was really your yeah, CEO. I, out, I didn't know anything about branding, so I just wanted to make the band look like a part of a Series D number four. But I, I smoked this cigar, and I was like, this is fucking amazing. Can you swear on this thing? Okay, sorry. So I was like, this thing We're is allowed amazing. to swear, right? So I'm smoking it, and then he's like, try this, and I tried this other cigar. Long story short, what I was smoking that I thought was so amazing was this Bahia Gold Robusto, and the cigar that was very good, but not quite as good was a Cohiba Robusto from Cuba and I was like wow you know this was like and that to me in like my mind was like one of the best cigars I've smoked in the last you know 20, 20 years it was the Bahia Gold Robusto 1998 there was a lot of fun back then we it were was. kids but we yeah. yeah but we all did it because we loved it you we, know? we, it did, we like, did this because we loved it and yeah. John was working for a great company a great family and uh, he actually he, true story he, he actually came to Los Angeles and we were at the Grand Havana and he's like, I'm thinking about taking a job with, with Bahia. And I said, dude, I think that CAO is going to blow up, <laughs> like blow up big and you're going to be part of it. Don't. I think Tony's going to, and I love Tony and I think he was one of those original disruptors. Right. I think Tony's going to end up, you know, having problems. And he actually was a big portion of what CAO was. And a lot of people don't know that. He's, he was in the packing department when he started, I think, right? Yeah, I took a job as a shipping manager. I, I literally Sweet. conned my way into it. And said, I'll be the, <laughs> I'm great at this, you know? And, like, I sucked. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But it, it got my foot in the door in the cigar business. So It's a great way. Yeah. John was always really good with, with coming up with clever ideas in marketing. So you could actually give John a little credit for being one of those original disruptors. I just ended up having my own brand before John had his own brand. But he really sure. kind of just, like, turned the cigar industry upside down with this whole, like, rock and roll CAO. And they'd have these epic parties at the trade show. And John was part of, like, the whole marketing and advertising. and We had fun with it. I, they were talking yeah. about that last night at the dinner table, The our founders, Sean and Tim. They were talking about how... IPCPR or whatever it was called back then was like you would blow two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on a party because you flew in some Motley Crue guy to sing to like a group <laughs> you of did, did that. You did flew on Tommy Lee, right? Yeah, Tommy <laughs> Lee actually DJed a party at the Hard Rock for us. That's crazy. Yeah. But we didn't blow two hundred thousand dollars. Trust me, John uh, would so never. We did it. He wouldn't approve that. No, 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 no. We did it. We did it. Uh, we did it on the cheap. It sounds so much better though when you. It sounds more glamorous, but it wasn't. <laughs> So it was we had we had some fun. So on that disruptor mentality, you know, there's kind of these written rules and unwritten rules in the industry. What things were you kind of playing with and did you know you were gonna just kinda of be like, ah, I'm going unwritten right now and that's my game? I don't know. Uh written rules I think John and I are both like traditionalists, like heavy traditionalists, so the written rule is just to respect the people that came before us and respect the tradition, but the unwritten rule, I mean Okay, to incorporate. Uh, no one had tattoos, so okay. like, and that's how we became friends. I was like, I saw Pete across. <laughs> I was like, he, nobody back in those days, nobody no had one tattoos. had tattoos, right? And I was like, Pete had a, the full sleeve already, and I think I just had like a couple or whatever. And uh, I was like, 
and we just, you know, we had the whole L.A. background, and we just became fast friends. So was it more of like maybe, let's not say unwritten rules, but more of a lifestyle? You know, you weren't fitting the mold of a typical cigar maker. You were just living you, being genuine. Yeah. But you had a passion, the same passion that these guys have for cigars and crafting cigars, yet you just didn't look like the typical mold. You had tattoos, maybe you wore Levi's, had Vans on, and, uh, you know, skated. We, we uh, both, I think, I mean, we're cigar nerds. We're total cigar geeks, and, and we would follow, like, these guys that we consider mentors around the show. You and, fanboyed? Like, and, oh, Who'd you fanboy? Oh, well, Carlito, of course, back yeah. in the day. Uh, dude, I have an Opus X tattoo on my arm. But, I mean, we, we were just, like, and, like, George Brightman, a guy named oh, yeah. George Brightman was, like, our, one of our mentors. Completely. He used to work for Cigar Aficionado, and George would tell us to, uh, like, we'd walk in the show, we're like, George. What's up? He goes, go see the guy in, in booth 236 with the bent nose. Remember Molinari? Yeah. Oh, Andrea Molinari. One-off. Of course. That was where Absolutely. one-off came from, where yeah. Dion Giolito has one-off. Um, oh, right, right. So, I don't know. We were, we were geeks, dude. I mean, we were, like, totally. George like, Brightman was the man back in the day, because nobody, probably most people here don't know who George Brightman was, but I remember... Our booth in 1996, CAO, was directly across from Cigar Aficionado. And I saw this one guy who had this, like, aura about him. And, like, people were always circling around him like sharks, you know. And it was like, I was like, who is that guy? And they're like, oh, that's George Brightman with Cigar Aficionado. You need to know who that guy is. And I was like this little nervous kid. And I'm like watching when the, the couch would clear if there was ever a time to go sit next to George Brightman. And so at one point there was that time and I took this box of CAO gold at the time that was what we were introducing and I walked over there and I sat down next to him I'm like, George Brightman, I said, I'm John Huber with CAO and I'm like, here, I want to give you these cigars, you know, and I just try to start up this conversation with him and ever since then I like, I would constantly, like, he was like a mentor, you know, he was like, he was an interesting cat because he like, he never had a, a he never had a smartphone. Never even had a Rolodex. Everything was in his head. Remember? Like, yeah, George an encyclopedia. He was an encyclopedia of knowledge. About- he's, he's still that guy that, that you get great ideas from. Um, he used to take a, a small group. There was a click again. He would right. pick out people in the industry, the young guys in the industry, that he wanted to kind of like mentor. Yeah. And he would take us to lunch. And we'd have debates about what a good cigar was and what a bad cigar was. And it was like old guys, Michael Herklotz, uh, David Kitchens back in the day. Yeah, David Kitchens. There was like, there was just this small little group of guys that he's like, we're going to lunch. We're going to talk about this shit. See what everybody's thinking about what's good on the floor. You would talk about what makes a great cigar. And we kind of get that today. Like, this is a full body. This is a medium. This is a, a light. What do, you, what do you think makes a full body cigar for those people that are out there? Is it strength? Is it flavor? What, is, what makes it full body? Because some people have labeled you guys there, like you make full body cigars. Do you think you make full body cigars? I, I make a few. Okay. Um, but I think body really encompasses like, you know, flavor more than strength. I would you agree know, with that because... Full body, full strength, and you're going for, you know, a big heavy rounded flavored cigar but then you have the spice levels that are over the top um that might get you a little sick in the stomach yeah i mean going back to the the brightman thing he always told me like body was mouthfeel 
like can you chew the smoke that yeah. to me when, when people talk about body that's what I always think about is how it feels on the palate is the density is it chewy is right. it thick is it you know it's like it's like a wine does it have like nice legs to it right it's like is it thick is it viscous I think a lot of people today like equate body with nicotine content and right. I, don't, I don't think they're the same thing personally Agreed. for me like do you ever get it where you're kind of like halfway through that cigar and you put your teeth together and they kind of stick like oh, yeah. it's chewy yeah. a little bit it's like, a, like that's uh, good it's like me. a wine with grip yeah, yeah. where your, your gums go up and yeah. they stay there they're sticking yeah how do you think people normally speak about your cigar and I want you guys to each kind of do this on your own but how do you think people perceive or speak about your cigar <laughs> <laughs> you want to take this one? <laughs> you both have to take this one. You can't dodge this question. I, for me, what is how Crown do Heads? Speak about Crown Heads. Um, I Not don't know. you necessarily, but people, the people that are smoking it. How do they, how do they talk about Crown Heads? I think in our in our from what I can gather from you know social media and talking to people and stuff. I think people talk more about. The, the philosophy and the mentality of the company of, of carving your own path and that kind of seems to have stuck more so than any particular brand and I, I, I'm not saying that I wish that were the case, I wish we had one that stuck on the wall like Tatuai Brown Label has been iconic, we don't have that iconic brand yet, you know we, we've done a lot of different different releases, the band has released a lot of different albums but not one has been like, boom you know, whereas I think with Pete, like Tatuai Brown Label is like, you know, that's, that's, right. I mean, shoot, it's been Iconic. in, uh, it was in uh, the Connoisseur's Corner, right? Cigar Aficionado. How many non-Cuban cigars can say that? So, I mean, that, that, that stuck. We have not had that happen yet. We haven't had that. So we're still searching for that. So I, I think people, for us, focus more on the, the rebelliousness of the, the carve your own path, the mentality, as opposed to a particular cigar. Carving your own path. Yeah. I think the uh, misconception with Tatuai for for a lot of people that don't understand the brand, like John knows the brand really well, so he, he said the brown label. That's my core. I mean, someone actually said on a podcast recently that, that, that they wish they, that Tatuai would come out with a core line. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> dying because they think that I'm only about monster series, which, you know, that's fun. That's you're supposed to keep brands like that in your your lineup to keep you relevant, right? But you want to have that basis because otherwise you're you're just a hollow shell, right? Um, that's the biggest misconception. I think that's what a lot of people think that I'm just this guy that comes out with new cigars every week. But there's a lot of history to the brand already. It's 15 years for me, so I, I I'll, I'll say like I think some of the the best stuff that. Pete's put out is stuff that people don't talk about on a day to day like Cabai One oh fucking one of my favorite cigars of all times the Maduro was my favorite Guapos yeah. Cabai One but I haven't been I able mean, to find it at certain shops Lowry Keza no one carries it anymore really Lowry Keza <laughs> one of the why, best why is that best why, Maduro cigars is it like an album like you said like okay yeah. the CD was released it was hot for a while and now it's gone well I mean you, you think about it it's like everybody still buys the original Guns N' Roses album but there's a couple other releases like the what was the spaghetti one the spaghetti incident or <laughs> yeah, something right. like that yeah no one cares about that one right <laughs> yeah it's not you, used you need anymore. one that sticks you know one that's that's iconic so and, your non-core line is sticking <laughs> yeah unfortunately for that. <laughs> that's everybody it. wants the new so 
we're talking a little bit about values and kind of how you kind of represent yourself. How have you transcended that into your brand through like packaging? Uh, John, you talked a little bit about kind of your message as a core, you know, the core message of your company. How have you made that a part of your brand? And what specific things do you want people to know are a part of your core being of that brand? Uh, I mean, John knows, and I think he's pretty much the same. Um, we're traditional guys when it comes to packaging. So it's simplicity because it's not about the packaging so much. It's really about the cigar. Um, so when people see a lot of the Tatawai product, they kind of recognize that I'm kind of more old school. And it's just because I love the history of where cigars came from. And if you look at the old packaging from Cuba, it, it kind of strikes a chord for me. Um, John, I think it's very similar, but he puts a little bit of a, a more edgy twist to it. I, w- I would agree with that. I mean, one of the things that I, I admired a lot about Tatuai when it, when it first came out was that the message to me as the consumer was the money is in the tobacco, not in the box. So right. to kind of take you back a little bit into my previous life, I was with a company that got very much into the packaging, where the packaging came first before the cigar, like, hey, we got this clever idea, we got this cool color, or let's make a box that looks like an iPod, you know, or that lights up. And and I was always the guy in the back going, hey, wait a second, you know, the consumer's going to say, hey, I'm paying for the packaging. No, 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 if it's cool, they'll buy it, whatever. And then, again, going back to that whole disruptor, game changer thing, Tatuai comes onto the scene, plain, you know, cabinet box, unvarnished, very just minimalistic but the 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 idea was that the the money went into the tobacco and when you smoke the cigar that's exactly you knew it, but that's what you were paying for and I, that's something i wanted to replicate and if you even look back to four kicks when we came out in 2011 i i pretty much riffed yeah. off of that i mean it was a simple simple box very understated i didn't want to do any cello i just wanted a bunch band i wanted you know very simple understated traditional packaging it, it- Go back to music a little bit, and you look at Guns N' Roses. There was rock and roll before Guns N' Roses, but Guns N' Roses really just screwed up everything. They were they were a right. game changer. They they came in so super raw, and it, it's like, okay, it's now it's back to all about the music. It's no longer this hair metal where you have to look really pretty right. when yeah. you get on stage. It's it's these guys that just get up on stage where they just woke up out of the gutter and they just jam. Right. So that's kind of. With four kicks, original four kicks with original tatuaje, it was really about just like, this is raw. There's 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 no way of hiding behind packaging. This is raw. It's true. It's real. Nice. What about making cigars is so fulfilling to you? It's kind of a double-edged question because you say making cigars, but I don't make cigars, and I, I know Pete's going to reinforce that, right? I mean, we don't make cigars. We're brand owners. And that's one of the things that I try to be transparent about and whenever I talk to people in this kind of a fashion, what have you. I mean, I mean really my job is is just to validate what comes out. You know, I have a vision in my mind and, 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 and I want it to taste a certain way, but I can't do that. You know, Jaime right. or Pepin or Ernie, those are the guys. It's like if you have a toothache, are you going to pull your own tooth? You go to the dentist and you have the dentist pull you. So by the same token, I'm lucky enough to work with icons in the industry to say hey i want a cigar that you know tastes like this or looks like this can you help me out you know what i mean and here's a funny story i'm gonna tell when my first entree into working with my father's cigars was in january of 2014 and i was down there 
with Pete and Yanni were, were there at the same time. And at that time, I was working on what became the first Las Calaveras Edición Limitada. And literally, we had like I had three different variations on the theme. And I picked one and I gave it to Pete and I said, what do you think of it? And he said, this is really good. It's, it's meaty. It tastes good. It doesn't taste like anything that's come out of the factory, which is a good thing. He wasn't like overwhelmingly like, oh, this is fucking amazing, you know, but he was like, it's good. And I said, well, I'm having a little bit of an issue with it because it's like, I'm just picking one of three and this is really good and I think I want to go with it. And he's like, dude, our job is not to fuck it up. We've got great tobacco. It all's about the tobacco. It's about the people that are making the scars. Your job is don't fuck it up. And that's really what it came down to for me. And so when you say making cigars, I don't make cigars. Let's let's rephrase that, right? though. I mean, because you touch on it. I, I know you. it was a trigger word. but So it's not making it necessarily, but you're shaping what's going to come to market. So where's the inspiration for saying, okay, this is kind of the way I want it to taste. What's guiding you there? Is it like, are you going off of old cigars that you smoked before? Or are you trying to go off of like, hey, I kind of, I want it to taste like this because I think people will like it. Nah, no. Nah. For me, I have to trust my palate. And uh, every cigar that, that we do out of the factory with the Garcias um, is always about if it tastes good to me, I'm hoping someone else will like it. But I have to smoke all of them if they don't like right. them. So the, the bonus is when people actually want to buy them. But right we have to make them for ourselves because if we think that we're going to make a cigar because we think Joe is going to like it, you just lost the battle right there. We have to make it for us because it has to feel here, not for, I think I can sell this. I kind of go back to a Saka quote that I read once and I thought it really was, was Steve Saka, Steve Saka. Um, he said, he goes, if you try to make a cigar that everybody likes, you'll never make a cigar that somebody loves. That's a so, good quote. That's a great quote. Yeah, that's right? a really good and quote. And I think that that's that's true. If you're if you're if you're trying to create something for the masses, you're really never going to make something that really is just going to strike somebody's core. You know what I mean? I'll tell you. He mentioned Ernie though. I made a cigar based on a comment from Ernie one day, Ernesto Carrillo. Okay. He was in the factory at the Garcia's uh, facility in Nicaragua, and uh, we happened to be going through a pilone room, and we were tasting tobacco off of one of the pilones and. Ernie's like, holy shit, this is good tobacco. He goes, if I can't get, if I can't find good tobacco, I'm just gonna start buying shit from Jaime and Pepin. <laughs> and it was their first crop off of their 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 Estrella farm in uh, Esteli. And I literally went back to the office and I looked at Jaime and said, I need you to do me a favor. I want to blend a cigar just from Estrella tobacco. And he goes, it won't work. I go just try and do this for me because I knew Ernie loved it. I loved it, but I wanted to try this new experiment of doing this like vintage Bordeaux bottling where you, it's one farm, one vintage. And that's how the brand La Verite came out because I, it was really like, is this, can it be done? Like, and Jaime's like, no, it can't be done. You need to blend regions. And I'm like, no, I want to try just replace Take the traditional brown label blend and replace the Seiko that's supposed to come from this region with that and replace the Viso from that region with that. And it turned out great for what I wanted. It tasted great to me and then sure. I believed in it. So you but it was all because of Ernie. And there's like your disruptor right there. So <laughs> right. there you go, right? Don't do this, but I'm going to do it this way. 
It's, it's like Carlito, you know, back in the day in the late 90s, nobody thought you could grow rapper in the Dominican, right? Early 90s, right? actually. Early. early 90s, right? And there you go, Opus X. So original disruptor again. Absolutely. So you're getting inspiration, not, and I was going to ask that question, like, do you ever taste a uh, piece of tobacco and you're like, oh my God, I want to build something around this. And you just answered that question. So you're getting inspiration, not only from what old cigars you smoked or maybe flavors that you want to try to get, but also from the tobacco itself or what somebody says inspires it. Well, you know, everybody knows the Cohiba Bihike, right? Yep. I mean, it's a very famous brand and... I was in the factory one day, and Papin showed me some uh, leaf, some wrapper leaf that Oliva Tobacco grew with a seed that they gave, that Papin and Jaime gave Oliva, and it was Sancti Spiritus. And I looked at this color of this leaf, and I just said, I, right there, I said, I know exactly what I want to do with it. And that's how Atelier came about. It From was all color? about going straight after Bejique. Really? That 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 wrapper leaf was so pretty, and it had a, such a beautiful profile and it was a, it was a new seed so it was like okay i gotta i gotta go straight after that cuban thing so it, that's wow. so i use the size of the bahike and and the flavor profile so distinctive i think that initial atelier I, I was like holy here we go again you know what i mean another game changer and i think aficionado rated it like 94 or something 94 points right i mean yeah. it was 94 points that cigar was phenomenal Phenomenal. And I got so much shit for using those sizes. Really? People were like, cop, tell me I was a total copycat to the point where I was like, wait a second. The BEK 54 is a five and five eighths by 54. If you look back in time, my guapos, my Caballon guapos was a five and five eighths by 54 before BEK even came out. So I was like, who copied who? <laughs> right. 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 We're talking about the inspiration and kind of getting to this core of like values what makes the brand or the product unique well i'll go into what we talked about earlier and john and i don't make cigars we have great people make them for us and actually you know papina jaime and and ernie don't make them either it's the people in the factory that are rolling them every day and we have to count on those people right. to do their job correctly thank god they do we're we're negotiants i mean that's a perfect analogy for us uh we look for the best people in the world that that produce the best products and we go in and put our flair to it and and find those perfect items that we want to stamp our names on um that's a perfect analogy for for what we do i agree 100 percent. i really do it's just i i think that uh i mean what, what gets me going is just the creative process really Sure. Is, is imagining something from here and, and getting it to a, 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 a part where you can, a point where you can actually make it a, a, a consumable product. And then when people enjoy it, that's the bonus, right? Right. But being fortunate enough to have the best people making the cigars really gives you a best chance possible to make that happen for people to actually enjoy it, if that makes any sense. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I, like for me, like I had a, a background at CAO, which opened some doors for me to, to, you know, actually have a conversation with Ernesto Perez Carrillo. My friendship with Pete is the entree to get in with my father's cigars. That's because of those relationships. That's how I was able to work with these people that I still hold way up here, you know, and, and, and I owe everything to them. So I was going to ask that. How 
how is it being in the industry and in the position you are? How do you collaborate? Are you kind of like, oh, I'm getting inspiration from, you know, like Pete, you might be like, oh, I'm getting inspiration from John. And who are you kind of, are you naturally seeking these people out or is it just organic? Is it like, oh, hey, it's just kind of happening. I'm getting inspiration from you. For me, my most of my inspiration is old school. The wheel, the, you know, the Cuban wheel, where it all started. Like when I started my brand, I never set out, you know, my mentors in the business, like George Padron and, you know, Carlito Fuente, never set out to try to like copy Opus and try to copy Padron. I wanted right. to make something based on old school. And again, back to what was personal to me and creating something, writing a song. Right. Uh, it had to be somewhat a part of me to be able to like actually push it forward. You can't, you can't fake it. Right. But you're still working together with other people. Like you talked about working with um, Ernie. Well, I didn't, like, I've never worked with Ernie. I just happened to be in a room with him. Sorry. That's <laughs> what, I guess that's what I meant. Like you're, you're with Ernie and all of a sudden you get this inspiration. Is all that just ba- kind of Based on a on simple a, comment, actually. It was yeah, but like, it's, it's Man, this shit's good. <laughs> but it's happening organically. It's not really something that you're really trying to specifically go one direction. So with that, like, and and your brand, is your brand just really an extension of your personality then? Or are you trying to shape something like a marketing, like, I want to always make sure I remain true to this? I, I think it's an extension. I think for both of us, it's, it's an extension of what we just love. I mean, there's so many things in our lives that we have, you know, inspiration from everywhere. It could be a song. It could be... Well, he does a lot of stuff with music, and music, a lot of songs speak could, to him. It could be sonic. It could be a lyric. It could be art. It could be <clears throat> wine. It could be... I, I get a lot of inspiration from this guy, to be honest with you. Right. Um, you know, and it just I guess it just what... The end result comes out to all these things that are, like, kind of coming at you, and it comes out a certain way, right? Right. So it's like all those different influences come out and, and it, in a unique fashion, you know? Right. And it's just, you can't help but be inspired. I mean, you look around in here, it's like there's so much you can be inspired by, right? But even outside of the industry, there's so much to be inspired by, you know, in the wine world, in the art world, in the music world. And, you know, even in the clothing world or like the skate world or, you know, there's, it just... It all comes in. You don't even realize you're being influenced by it until it actually comes out and you go, oh, yeah, I guess I kind of got that off of whatever. You know what I mean? But I don't think either one of us, like, goes in intentionally going, all right, I'm going to do a riff on that. Right. It's just it just kind of comes out organically. So as you've, you know, how how many years did you say you've been in the business, Pete? Total of 25. 25. John? Since 96. So so, 23? Yeah. So as you've been. You'd be. Yeah, 23, 24. So maybe this is my 26th year. I don't know. (laughs) So as you've been in the business from day one to now, how have you seen your inspiration evolve or change? I I think I'm actually taking inspiration from where I started right now. Like the last few, like the last few years has been kind of crazy. I've been really focused on certain leaves only and then, being the 15 years of having my own brand it it turned into like i don't know even know what to do anymore and i started looking at my old stuff and i'm like that's what brought me to the dance 
I need to pay attention to what brought me here. So I, I'm actually grabbing stuff from why I started the brand to begin with, which was the old school stuff. I've only had my own brand for like half the time. I, we started in 2011, you know, starting shipping in November of 11. So I'm kind of a, a rookie, I guess, a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm still kind of like still trying to find my stride, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we don't have, like I said, I touched upon it earlier. We don't have that iconic brand that stuck the way that, you know, I revered like to me, like Hall of Fame shits like Tatuaje Brown Label, right? But I'm still working at the Caballones and the Riquezas and we're still doing those. I have yet to get one that really kind of like, wah, you know? So I'm still, I'm still enjoying the process, you know? I'm still trying to like, I'm learning every day. And that's, that's what really kind of keeps me going. Is like I actually think that, that he doesn't give himself enough credit because I think his Jericho Hill is one of his, his, mm-hmm. his brands that maybe it, it doesn't do as well as he thinks. Four but kicks. I, right. I look at it and I'm like, I love that cigar. I really do. I mean, it lost, I, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say, ironically, Las Calaveras. I think Las most people know Crown Edge for Las Calaveras. And, but the ironic thing is it's, it's literally an annual limited edition, right? <laughs> right. So people are like, they go, I love Las Calaveras. And I go, well, which one? We've done five, right? But, I mean, the Garcias have done an amazing job about, you know, each one stands on its own. Each one has its own personality, its own flavor, its own look, its own vibe. It's like... You know, and I'm just, I'm like sitting back and watching this thing going, wow, this is pretty cool, you know. What inspired you in the beginning, and does that still inspire you today? Again, I, st- I still go back to the old stuff. I mean, the, the, the history of Cuba and the history of the Cuban cigar is still a big inspiration for me. I, I don't know. I, I just like old school stuff, so I, I'm still trying to beat the Cubans. Yeah, for me, I would say the same thing. I'm a very much a traditionalist. I mean, that's what kind of I enjoy. I still read, I read a ton of material about old Cuban brands, old Cuban vitolas, and the packaging, and that part really. And also just the creative process. You know, I, I, I like the creative process of whether it's it's you know a cigar, a blend, a package, a box, a hat, a T-shirt. It's just it's nice to know I can look forward to something coming to fruition making it you know a reality that that's what keeps me going and just really learning man so what do you think people in the cigar community value about your brand specifically or just in general like what do you think consumers are valuing right now i think i think for me i would hope that the consumers value there's there's no filter over it there's there's a genuine honesty you know i'm not trying to cover shit up i try to be very open with with blends i i don't go in depth with what we put into stuff because i don't want really to let everything out there are a couple secrets you want to keep to yourself but i'm not going to sit there and 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 bullshit you and try to tell you that i'm using 10 year old tobacco or whatever I'm, i'm I, if someone asks me a question, there's there is no filter. There, it's I'm an open book, and I want people to to be able to be comfortable and ask me anything, and I'll I'll answer it truthfully. So, I mean, my one word answer to follow up Pete's answer was was authenticity. I think what draws people to our respective brands is is simply that is, is being authentic. And you know, if somebody asks you a question, don't be afraid to say I don't know the answer to that. And people ask me questions about things, and I'm like, I don't know, but I'll find you the answer for it. I'm, I'm very open. 
I'm very real. And I think people, regardless of what industry you're in, people today respond to authenticity, to transparency. They don't want to be bullshitted, right? There's how many booths in this? We all do the same thing. We all have the same batolas. We all use the same box makers. We probably, a lot of us use... Same band makers. Right. We use the same band makers. What separates, you know, Tatuaje or Crown Heads from some other company? And I think it's more of our message and our transparency and our authenticity is that that's what our consumers gravitate towards, I think, you know, is that we're not trying to bullshit you. We're, we're the same cigar geeks as, as everybody here. I mean, I still have the, the little three by five cards where I used to take bands off of cigars and paste them and write tasting notes and right. rate them back in, you know, before I got the job in the business. I'm still that guy. I still smoke everybody's stuff, you know? So, I mean, I think that's what, what the appeal of our brands are. Um, you know, I don't know how to go deeper into that. You don't have to, but I want to follow up that question with the final one. What are you smoking right now that you really, not not oh. physically, oh, right yeah. now, physically right but now, but like, <laughs> what are you smoking right now that you really, really like or that you've been kind of like, hey, this is something that I really like and maybe not a lot of people know about it or whatever's kind of pushing you to grab for that cigar every time you go in the humidor. Man, I... I I don't know. I, I think I'm smoking a lot of my own stuff, yeah. but it's it's really because I'm I'm still experimenting with things, and uh, I mean, it, it, we'll never become masters, but we'll always be students that that find new tricks every day, and and we get inspired by by wow, this this wrapper on this blend tastes totally different than I ever expected. So you're, it's a learning process every day. So you walk into the factory, and I, I mean, I get to, I get, I'm fortunate that I get to play in the Garcia's factory. They give me a lot of freedom, and I get to talk with the chief of production and go in there and and ask him questions, but also tell him, hey, I want to try this, and he puts it together, and I'm like, wow, you know, I never thought that that would work. So it's really about, I don't know, it's really about just trying things and learning and stay focused on learning instead of thinking that you know everything yeah and, and for me this time of year i have to say that it's been i've been smoking mostly our stuff like the specifically the chc reserve that we just released we added down to two blends and i was just trying two different variations with different binders and that's literally all i was it was like homework right so i was like mostly smoking that out of necessity more than anything else but you know if it's not pre-ipcpr if it's not product development time i'm smoking his stuff i'm smoking Dion's stuff i'm smoking you know any any davidoff padron whatever i can get my guys to send me or if i can bum off of somebody skip martin stuff whatever just to because i i'm interested you know right. and 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 i enjoy the process what are you smoking right now that you think not a lot of people know about but you really like for me it's dapper cigar company i really like what he's putting out and I've liked pretty much everything he's done. Yeah, see, I, and I, I know the name, but I, I haven't tried anything. And every once in a while, people will give me a, a, a cigar from someone that I've, I just didn't know about. And I, I have my questions about some of them. I, Is there I'm, anything that you're smoking? I'm that highly like? opinionated when it comes to cigars. It's either really? shit or it's good. Okay. You know, it's real simple. You got a one, one stage rating. Oh, yeah. There's the Cocos and stuff like that. No new descriptors, but uh, it's either I love it. I mean, there's okay, you could like something, but do I want to go spend the money on it? I, 
it's a personal thing. It's like it's got to be just it has to tickle it. So I've been smoking a lot of uh, custom Cuban cigars, like the homemade stuff. Really? Um, a lot of guys that I've been hanging out with in Los Angeles have been giving me like a lot of ho- homemade custom rolls. And some of those are epic, like purely epic. And then I pick up a normal party, a series D, and I'm like, this is trash. <laughs> I kind of like, I come to this show and I'm like, I, I start asking, like, just like I said, back in the Brightman days, like what, what's out there? And like, when you just said that brand, I never even heard of it no slam on that brand at all but i'm more than interested in and willing to try different cigars that i haven't heard of but i always seem to gravitate towards i mean stuff that the garcias do to be i'm, I'm smoking the grand oferta right now that uh, barry abrams actually gave it to me it's like this is really good you gotta try it so i'm like geeking out on this is they just i mean there's just something that they do and that that obviously Ernesto does with with tobaccos that I that just hits my palate so I'm a, I'm a fan so I, a lot of times I'll go back and I'll try like Paniolo 2015 2006 you know stuff that the Garcia's have made for us or I'll go back and crack open a box of like 2014 Las Calaveras and just to see how it's progressed and uh, I don't know man I don't want to like like be like drinking my own Kool-Aid but I, I'm just I, I, I <laughs> You know, you work I, with some. I don't know. I think I think we're spoiled, though. We are. We work with like. I mean, I hate to say it, Why? but it's, I, I, we work because, with the best because we work with some great people. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, it, someone asked me like, "What do you smoke outside the fact, or you know, outside your brand?" I'm like, "Why would you?" Crown Heads <laughs> uh, from Don Papin. I smoke Don Papin from Don Papin. I smoke Jaime Garcia. I smoke uh, La Roma Mia more. I'm like. Yeah, but what about outside the factory? I'm like, okay, uh, Illusione from Dion Giulio. Yeah. Epernay is one of the most epic. Great, that's like one of those. Cigar. That was Dion's like I masterpiece. I think that's his masterpiece as well. I agree 100%. You know, the Fuma de Amor was pretty good too, though. I yeah, like very, good. very good. But I think Epernay still kind of kills it for Dion. That's his, that's so the line. So balanced. So good. Dion was doing a cigar with another, another company at one time, and I looked at him. I said, dude, why are you wasting your time with this? I go, Epernay is so epic, and this is, like, not even close to it. And Epernay still to this day is one of those cigars I can pick up and count on. He, he didn't use any Lijero on that, right? That's all. No, yeah. Right? Am I right? No, yeah. That's, 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 that's the magic joke. of that. Like, people, like, you know, they go, oh, give me, like, a, I want a triple Lijero and da 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 I'm like, here's a guy that used no Lijero in this cigar, and it was so flavorful and so balanced and so rich and so just exquisite. Nice. You know, that's a disruptor. Yeah, right. Dion, Dion's Definitely a disruptor. Definitely a disruptor, for sure. Definitely. And I think there's a lot of guys coming up now, which I'm, I'm not going to name names, but it, they want to be disruptors. And that, when you put that as your target and your goal, then you're missing the actual mark. If you, you come into this game like trying to be a disruptor, you're in it for the wrong reason. You know, it's like I think guys that last in this business – are guys that pay respect to the people that came before them, to the tradition, to the to the artistry, to the craft of making cigars. And I know I'll never know one fifth of what you know Jaime or Pepin or Ernesto know. They'll forget more about tobacco than I'll ever freaking learn, right? Right. But you got to remember that, and it's just a lot of guys nowadays don't remember that. They don't think that way. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of. Uh good people that are making cigars now that are newer, newer guys. I mean, you know, even if you look at a guy like Skip Martin, I mean, he's making good cigars. And I think he really believes that 
in the craft of making cigars, he's sometimes a little too disruptive. Yeah. <laughs> but and I, hi, Skip. How you doing? Um, but I, I think he really believes in what he's doing, and it's really about being genuine and 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 trying to do what you believe in, and just make a freaking good cigar. Right. Don't try to bullshit people. Just make a good cigar. And if you're proud of it, put your name on it. And if you're proud of it and you believe in it, one day someone will believe in it also. Exactly. Right. Good advice. Exactly. Thank you guys for joining us. No, you're welcome. It was welcome. fun.